It is indeed an honor for me to be able to introduce to you our speaker tonight. Dr. Jerry Porter uh, was born uh, to missionary parents, and uh, they served throughout South America and uh, brought uh, great ministry to the church, and he just lost his dad in the last year, a great uh, pioneer and trooper for God, and, and uh, we appreciate his family heritage so much. Dr. Porter followed in their footsteps and became a missionary and the regional director of the MAC region. That's uh, uh, the Central America region of our church. First of all, having served in that area himself uh, on assignment in, uh, I believe, the Dominican Republic and other areas, and then uh, became head of our school in Costa Rica and ultimately the regional director. And then, uh, as is becoming more common in the church, one of the districts here in the nation realized they needed someone that uh, had a bit of diversity because our cities are becoming far more diverse. And so he was elected to what was known as the Washington District, which is the Washington, D.C. area, now known as the Mid-Atlantic District of the Church of the Nazarene as district superintendent. And then at that assignment, the church uh, looked upon him in 1997 at the General Assembly in San Antonio, I believe, where he was elected general superintendent and has served for the last eight years in this role, bringing leadership to the church across America and around the world. His wife, Tony, is with him, but uh, they just finished an assembly in Oklahoma, and uh, she is resting tonight, and I can understand that. Some people ask me, uh, does my wife go with me everywhere? And I said, I wouldn't put her through this routine that I live, and uh, I, I'm always pleased when she can be with you, but I understand that she can't be here tonight. Uh, as uh, Dr. Porter comes to us, uh, I'd like to make you aware also that uh, we have a responsible general superintendent for our Bible college for a two-year period. It's my understanding that the next two years he will be our responsible general superintendent, and so we'll get to know him a lot better. But uh, during my uh, 11 years here, this is the first time that you've been on the campus, I believe. And so it's a real joy to have you here tonight. And uh, Dr. Porter, I, it's always an honor for me to introduce our general superintendent, but I have a greater honor, and that is to introduce to you the students, men and women that have sensed the call of God upon their life. And I'm always privileged to be able to introduce to you these fine men and women, future preachers of the church, fine class will be graduating this year and others coming behind them. And so I introduce to you the men and women of Nazarene Bible College. Let us welcome Dr. Porter. <clears throat> Thank you, and it's a privilege to be with Dr. Sanders and with Jan and with all of you. Uh, some of you uh, faculty members are my same age. We were in school together. Some of you must be quite a bit younger than, than, uh, than Marty and, and me. But it's, uh, it's just great to be with you. We, uh, on our board, pray on our knees in our meetings for our schools. And we remember Nazarene Bible College. We thank God for each of you as students and faculty and, and administration. And I want to get uh, into my message this evening. It's a message that I've preached literally hundreds of times. Uh, you don't have that luxury when you pastor a local church, but when you're a DS, a regional director, I preach this in every district in Mexico, Central America. I preach it in every local church in the Washington district. So don't think that I'm preaching this because Hiram told me there's some issue that I should deal with here. Um, I've discovered the devil is extremely boring, and the same kind of problems we have in Mexico we have in Nicaragua, and the same problems in Costa Rica we have in the Dominican Republic, and the same problems in Maine we have in Washington, D.C. God's amazing love. Is this going to work? No signal. Okay. Um, we can try something here. Let's see. 
Everyone close your eyes and say, Father, bless the machine. Anything? All right. The Apostle Paul never had this problem with his machine. I'm going to reboot here while I start my message, so I won't reboot. I'll, I'll be the same, but my machine here is going. We're going to reboot the machine while I while I get started here. God's amazing love. What's the very first Bible verse you memorized as a child or when you came to Christ? What's the very first scripture verse you memorized? How many of you would say John 3:16? How many of you say some other scripture was the first verse you memorized? So we've got one, two, three. Three, three others. Basically, John 3:16 uh, has, has taken it again tonight. Let's uh, let's say the words. It's called the the mini M I N I. It's called the mini gospel or the gospel in the gospel. It's the words of Jesus to Nicodemus after he said, "You must be born again." Uh, what did he say to him? Let's say the words together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So the, the secret to that scripture is God's love. Demonstrated how? Jesus is a demonstration of God's love. And there's a very commonly known, uh, both between nations, between businesses, um, and also subconsciously between people. It's, it's, it's the law of reciprocity. What is the law of reciprocity? It's really quite simple. When you smile at someone, normally they smile back. When you uh, are kind and gracious to someone, normally they reciprocate. So the law of reciprocity is just, it's subconscious. You, you, you tend to reciprocate kindness, you reciprocate smiles, reciprocate. Someone sends you a Christmas card every year, what do you do? You add them to your Christmas list. Um, anything behind me here yet? Okay. Uh, when, when, you, when someone sends you a birthday card every year, what do you do? You find out when they were born. I mean, after a while, you just feel this, this obligation. It's the law of reciprocity. So here, here is the law of reciprocity. God loves me. Say it out loud. God loves me. Put your hand on your chest and say it again. God loves me. More enthusiasm now. One more time. God loves me. All right, that's good news. So what's my law of reciprocity? I love God. It's just, it's just simple. I mean, we have, how many choruses and hymns do we sing? Oh, how I love Jesus. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. It's, we, and all the hymnals are full and the chorus books are full and the, and the Maranatha choruses, they're all about, I love you, Lord, because you first loved me. Somebody please find 1 John 3.16. Stand and read it. 1 John 3.16. John now is an old man. He's a member of the classic club and he's writing now uh, to the church. He's the only apostle that's still alive. And as he writes to the church, he has a new interpretation of the law of reciprocity in 1 John 3.16. Yes, Juanita. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. I'm sorry, did you read that right? Are you sure? You see, it says um, he laid his, down for us, his life down for us, so we should lay our lives down for him. Isn't that what it says? What does your Bible say? Oh. Oh, then John is teaching something different here, isn't he? You see, the law, the law of reciprocity is really quite simple. God loves me, I love God. I don't need you at all. 
<laughs> just Jesus and me. Don't sing that chorus. Just Jesus and me. Forget that chorus. Don't sing it anymore. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's way off from the kingdom. It's way off from the community life of the church and the body of Christ. Jesus and me. That, that's probably not going to cut it. The truth is, John says, and you did read it right, right but you did read a completely right one, Nina. I'm, I'm, I'm playing with you. I'm sorry. You, it simply says that it simply says that God loved me so much that Jesus demonstrated by giving his life for me. Now I want you to give your life for the brothers and sisters. So the truth of the matter is that as I love the person next to you, I am saying, yes, I really do. I really do love God. And the, the law of reciprocity forces me then to begin to love the people around me. The thing is, it's a lot easier to love God than it is to love you. Well, it, I mean, obviously. I mean, God's always there for me. God always understands me. God is 100%. I mean, 100%. But um, you, you guys let me down. Sometimes you misunderstand me, misinterpret me, you misjudge me, uh, or you judge me correctly. <laughs> Either way, I'm in trouble. And sometimes uh, you stab me in the back. So it's a whole lot easier, just Jesus and me in the prayer closet. And I shout my spiritual lungs, oh, I love you, Jesus. And God Almighty says, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. So I raised my spiritual voice. I said, I said, I love you, Lord. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Jerry, if you don't love the people next to you, don't pretend that you love me. That's a huge lesson for the church. It's a huge lesson that we have to learn over and over and over again. We have to keep learning again and again. The truth of the matter is that God loves me so much. You know how much he loves me? He loves me so much that I even love you. That's incredible, that God would love me so much that he would actually allow then that perfect love to flow into my heart and life to love you. John Wesley called sanctification and holiness. What did he call that? Perfect love, love perfected, where love dispels all else, where love fills my life to where I have now love for God and for neighbor. That was John, John Wesley's description of the sanctifying grace of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a few more uh, passages from 1 John as he writes to the church. And it's coming up on my screen in just a second here. You have the, I'm reading from the message tonight, uh, paraphrased by a wonderful Presbyterian who's taken the, the Bible and uh, using some original Greek and also some very creative English has given us a, a paraphrase that uh, is gripping and very, very helpful for our spiritual lives. When all else fails, go to the Bible. First John 4. The problem with the message here is, I don't know what verse this is, I think it's 8. My beloved friends, let's continue to love each other, since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God, because God is love. You can't know him if you don't love. This is how God showed his love for us. Now here John's going to define love. Here's how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world. So we might live through him. Now this is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God. But that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. My dear, dear friends. Here John underlines. My dear, dear friends. If God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. Ever. But if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us, and his love becomes complete in us. Perfect love. Not bad for a Presbyterian paraphrase. Perfect love. 
Skipping down um, in that same passage, God is love. When we think of a permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house and becomes at home and mature in us. We're free of worry and, and uh, we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing is our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There's no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear, since fear is crippling. A fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, we are going to love. Now, John is admitting we're going to love God and love each other. First, we were loved. Now, we love. If anyone boasts, they testify in church, Oh, how I love Jesus! And goes on hating a brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have, that's a heavy word, not suggestion or do the best you can or try as much as you can. The command we have from him, from Jesus, is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. So what exactly is, is, is John trying to say to the church? My challenge, my challenge is to show how much I love God by loving you. And when I love you, God knows that I do, truly, honestly, with all my heart, love God. If I choose not to love the people around me, then all of my boasting and all of my testimony time and all of the things I sing about loving Jesus is just hot air. It's not true. John says, you're wasting good oxygen. Don't do it. The truth is, you don't love God, and you just proved it, because you don't love the people next to you. And the reason that we um, don't love people around us, well, some, we can use prejudice as one easy way. Someone who may be a, a, of a pigmentation different than mine. They may have a racial history different than mine. They may speak a different language than me. And racial prejudice makes it so easy. I can hate whole categories of people. Just hate them all. The challenge for you and for me is that the sanctifying grace of God so cleanses my heart from all the antichrist attitude and spirit that I am filled with God's love to love the people next to me in the same way that God loves me. And as I love you, God knows that I truly do love God. The law of reciprocity simply now is God loves me, yes, and I love you. That's a new twist. It's not just Jesus and me. God loves me, I love God, God loves me. No, it's not the letter U, now it's the letter L. God loves me and I love you. Turn to the person next to you and say, I love you in the love of Jesus. You're kind of hard to love, but I do love you. You're, I can prove how much I love God because I really do love you. <laughs> you can say all <laughs> It may be that the only, the only way to say, I love you, Lord, or if not the only way, maybe it's the best way to say, I love you, Lord, is to say, I love you. I'm not sure I can say, I love you, Lord, without saying, I love you, to the person next to me. And if I can, this certainly still is the best way to say I love God, is to love you. I was seminary director in Costa Rica. We were there for seven years. We had a wonderful time. We had 100 students on campus and 3,000 in extension. And we had a, a tremendous uh, ministry going. And I had one missionary on my staff that did not like me. Flat out did not like me. <laughs> I mean, everything about me was repulsive to that missionary. And uh, I, I don't blame him. <laughs> I'm kind of repulsive to myself sometimes. And uh, 
All of my dreams were nightmares to him, and all of my all of my aspirations were were. He he thought I was going the wrong direction, and I was going to destroy the seminary with my with my initiatives. And and who was to say whether I was right or not? So the truth is, you know, he just flat didn't like me. And he told seminary students and other faculty members what he thought about me and my ideas. Now, what did the saints do when he talked to them? They walked right to my office and told me everything he said. And what did this 29, 30-year-old immature seminary director do? I got defensive. And I told them what I thought about his ideas. And what did the saints do when I told them what I thought about his ideas? They went right to him and said, you know what Porter said about you? And how did he react when, uh, when he heard what I said about him? <laughs> he got a little bit uh, more heated. And he said, well, here's what I think about Jerry and his ideas. And what did the saints do with everything he said? They walked right to my office and told me everything he said. So what did I do? I got more defensive. It was pretty, pretty ballistic. And who was carrying the ballistic missile? The saints. It got so bad I called my dad. You know, I mean, you've you got to be kind of humble and recognize, you know, I, I, I don't know all that I have to know. I'm not, I don't have all the answers. He was a missionary in Venezuela at the time. I said, Dad, we're having great days at the seminary, but I've got one obstacle. I have one problem. What, what, and I was trying to get some guidance how to get rid of this missionary. And, and, you know, and I thought Dad would understand. You cut your losses. You, there's times when you simply have to cut your losses and say, you know, you're out of here. And we need missionaries in Siberia. I mean, we need missionaries in other places. <laughs> so why wouldn't, I, why wouldn't I encourage headquarters to consider this candidate for some new mission assignment? And um, my dad said, he doesn't, he doesn't mind challenging your ideas, does he? Oh, no, Dad, that's his hobby. Well, he doesn't mind telling you when you're stupid. Dad, no, I mean, that, that's what he does, right? Yeah, exactly. You need people like that around you, Jerry. You need people on your team that aren't overwhelmed with you and that impressed with you and that challenge you every time you have a new idea. That's good for you. In fact, when that person likes your ideas, then you know you have a good idea. That's, that's a good person to have around you. Dad, what do I do with this civil war? We're supposed to be a holiness school training all the leaders for all of Latin America. You know, these are the future pastors and superintendents, and today they are. They're superintendents all over Latin America. What am I going to do, Dad? And my dad said, send third-party compliments and then shut up. I'm a brilliant seminary director. Dad, what's a third-party compliment? What do you mean? So I'm going to ask two volunteers to come up here and help me. I'll, I'll demonstrate. Two volunteers come, please. All right, very good. I've got the two right here. <laughs> All right, now, if, if your name is... Michael. Michael, if I give you this, it's, it's a way of expressing my appreciation for you. Th this beautiful bloom expresses all the reasons why I love you and how you inspire me and how I thank God for you. Do you get angry when I say good things to your face? Does that make you mad? It's okay with you, isn't it? Most of us can handle first-party compliments pretty well. Someone comes to us face-to-face -face and tells us what they, th they think, and it's wonderful things. We don't get mad. We don't go up to mystery, upset, and angry because someone said nice things to our face. Now, what if I talk about Michael behind his back, and I tell you everything about Michael that inspires me and why I love this brother so much? And when you see him, you say, here's what Porter said about you, and you give him that, uh, that little bouquet. Now, which of the two compliments is more enriching, face-to-face, -face, first party, or third party? Face-to-face. Face-to-face is good. I, I prefer third party. Why? Because behind your back, I'm saying good things about you. A lot of us are pretty courteous face-to-face, -face, and we say nice things face-to-face. -face. 
But uh, the challenge is, what do you say about that professor behind the professor's back? Not what you say to the professor face-to-face. -face, not what you say to the general superintendent face-to-face. -face. What do you say behind the DS's back? That really is a third-party compliment. So here's what I did. I memorized five really positive traits in my colleague missionary. Things that were true that I had been ignoring for the last few months. Positive contributions he was making. And whenever anybody came to tell me all the bad things he was saying about me, I made my speech. I said five good things about him, and I didn't say anything else. I memorized it so I wouldn't blow it, because I knew that if I, if I ad-libbed, I would get negative again and start getting defensive. So I memorized the speech, and I said all these wonderful things behind that missionary's back to everybody who came to me. I didn't say, go tell him. You don't have to. Everything you say behind someone's back, they're going to hear about it. I don't care if you say this is really confidential, but you know, forget it. it. They're going to hear about it. When you start talking behind someone's back and you start tearing them down, and the reasons why that person, the truth is, they're going to hear about it. In less than 90 days, my relationship with that missionary changed 180 degrees, and what changed was simply one thing, my tongue, my words. You see, how many of you believe in entire sanctification? Or do you believe in... Most, mostly, or 92%, or whatever. Or is, is God Almighty able to entirely sanctify His church, His disciple? I mean, even the tongue? Could God sanctify us so thoroughly that even our tongue is now sanctified and it's only going to be used to praise and glorify God and speak good things and noble things of good report and say good things about Michael behind his back and to Michael? It, you know, in fact, the Bible says if I have a problem with Michael, what should I do? Go to Michael. Don't talk about him. Go talk to him. But the immature attitudes in most of our churches and institutions and all over the world is we go running around behind. and We talk against and about people instead of talking to them. You have a problem with the chaplain? Go talk to the chaplain. Hello. You have a problem with Mr. Butler? Go talk to Marty. There he is. But, but childish attitudes are for us to go running around talking behind. And, of course, what happens to the body of Christ when we do that? Within 90 days, my relationship changed dramatically. He learned to respect me. I respected him. I didn't go to him and ask him to forgive me. I didn't have a reconciliation moment with him. I simply sanctified my lousy tongue and started saying good things about him. And the result was he heard everything I said, and he began to have appreciation for me because I honored and esteemed him. Not only does that work, but what, what if these two brothers have had this major, major problem to where they can't even talk to each other? Oh, they come to NBC, they come to chapel, they both worship Jesus, but they can't shake hands. They both love the Lord, but they can't even talk to each other because of what happened. I am the third party, so what do I do? I just mention his name. I said, Mr. Hawkins' name, and guess what? You get really angry. Just, I just mention his name, and you go, you know, your blood pressure goes up, and isn't there anything nice you can say about him? And you give me one lousy little compliment. Here's what Michael said about you. No, I don't believe it. That's not God. God's my witness. That's what he said. And after you've spewed out all the negative things you're going to say about Michael, is there nothing positive you can say? Being the third party, I take that one good thing that he says, and that's what I say to Michael. I don't repeat the other stuff. Why? Why don't I repeat the other stuff? Because I love Jesus. John was trying to tell us something. If you say you love Jesus, show it by loving the people next to you. And the best way to love the people around you is always bring them things of noble report. Always bring encouraging reports. 
Well, no, they need to hold, they need to know the truth. That's my job to bring all the garbage I can find and let them know what's going on. You know, some, some people, they can't wait to catch the preacher. Ten minutes before he goes up to the pulpit to preach and unload all the stuff that happened that week and all the problems and let that poor woman or man have all that stuff to shovel through and get back to a place of proclaiming God's word with a prophetic word of, of encouragement and hope. They don't need to know everything. If Sister Jones is mad at the preacher, you don't have to go tell the preacher. Let Sister Jones talk to the preacher. If she's not mad enough, then she's not very mad. Forget it. It's no big deal. If she's mad, then have her go talk to the preacher. If she's not that mad, then forget Sister Jones's problem. We, though, what do we do? We gather up all of the gossip. It's not gossip. It's true. We gather up all the stuff people are saying, all the toxic waste, and we go dumping it on each other all the time against the NYI president, against the... And, of course, then we wonder why the body of Christ is, is having trouble being united. And, and what I do then, of course, I keep taking the one positive thing back and forth. I'm the third party, and back and forth until... And so by the grace of God, all I ever say to you are good things that he says about you. And all I ever say to you, Mike, are good things that Michael says about you. And by the grace of God, I, as the third party, am the comp taking the compliments. My dad died last September, but he had the incredible skill of always bringing third party compliments to me. When he told me that day what to do, I discovered he'd been doing it with me all of my life. Whenever he was with anybody who said something good about me, he would always keep that little morsel and when he was with me, he said, you know, I was with so-and-so. You know what he said about you? And he would give me this most delicious compliment. It was validated not just by what the person had said about me, but my dad carried it to me. It got a double validated. I want you guys to shake hands and get over your problem now. And start saying good things about each other. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I want you to raise your right hand, please, and repeat after me. Everyone, raise your right hand. Repeat after me. I solemnly swear that I resign. As church garbage distributor, I'm going to be the church florist. I'm going to start taking flowers from people to people. On the final judgment day, on the final judgment day, the Lord God is going to separate the sheep and the goats. And there'll be some mighty, mighty angry people complaining. When were you ever in Albuquerque? When were you ever in Seattle? When were you ever in Jersey? And I didn't take care of you, Jesus. You're accusing me of not feeding you, of not giving you clothes, and not going to prison when you were in prison. You're accusing me of not loving you. Lord, you know I love you. I can't stand to other folks, but I love you. And what will the Lord say? You didn't get it, did you? You just didn't get it. When you love the people around you, you are loving me. And when you choose not to love the ones around you, you have rejected me. So the best way to say, I love you, Lord, is literally to love the ones next to us. Now, you know the Church of the Nazarene is passionate about its mission to be Christian, to be holiness, to be missional. We are missional by the grace of God. With, we, 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 we literally are praying to God to help us to go from 1.5 million Nazarenes today, that in four years, by the end of the celebration, 2000. 2009, we'll have two million Nazarenes around the world. We're passionate about evangelism. We're passionate about sharing our faith. We're passionate about discipleship. We believe that's our assignment. But before we go out to win the world, we have to learn to love each other. What good does it do for me to go out there and find Joe, drug addict, lost without Jesus? And I love Joe, and I minister to Joe, and I build a relationship with Joe, and I connect with Joe, and I share the gospel with Joe, and Joe finds Jesus, and I bring Joe to church and tell him who not to talk to. 
I think go to church and say, maybe you can help us get rid of this preacher. We're trying to get rid of this preacher. You can cooperate with our program. You see, before you go out to win the world, we have to learn to love each other. And it's easier to love a good-for-nothing, blankety-blank sinner who knows that he's a sinner and talks about his sin than it is to love some Christians who fall so short of the name they embrace. We expect Christians to be Christians, and they're not, and so then we get all hurt and bent out of shape and upset and angry, and, and the truth is, let's start loving each other the same way Jesus loves me. I never have measured up to earn the love I've received. It's never about who I am or what I do or how I do it. It's all because God made a cosmic choice to love me. In the same way that God loves me, now I am going to allow God's love to flow to you through me. And I'm going to love you whether you like it or not, whether you deserve it or not, whether you understand me or not, whether you treat me right or not, whether you talk bad about me or not. I am making a choice because God loves me. I have no choice. I love you. When I got married to my wife, her name is Tony, and... I mean, it was a, it was an incredible moment, and that preacher could have, that preacher could have asked for anything there in York, Pennsylvania. I would have said yes. I mean, that preacher could have asked any kind of a covenant or solemn vow. I would have said yes. I mean, I was on cloud nine. Anything that preacher would have asked for, I would have I would have said yes till death do it. But you know what? In 33 years, not every day does she hop out of bed just overwhelmed with incredible attraction for me to where she can't keep her hands off of me and, and she just, you know, she can't stop kissing me and she can't... I mean, someday she looks at me and she goes, whoa. <laughs> I haven't combed my hair, I haven't brushed my teeth and, you know, and, uh, and the odors are not all that, you know, not, not pleasant. You haven't gotten this, this, uh, this, this cologne on yet and so forth. Why are we married? You know why we're married 33 years later? Because we didn't get married based on the world's definition of love. We, by the grace of God, understood that God would help us to make love a decision and not just an emotion. On the streets of our city, the love songs are, you know, a dime a dozen. Oh, I love you so much, I can't live without your love. I can't, I can't think without your love. I can't do reading and research without your love. I... I can't eat my food or digest my food without your love. I need your love. I need your love. It's a wonderful love song. And then the next song says, hey, uh, I don't know how to say this, but I don't love you anymore. I used to love you a whole lot, but don't love you anymore. Sorry, but, you know, I can't lie. Why should I lie? I can't tell you. I, I don't love you anymore. And the next song is, why don't you love me anymore? I still love you. What happened to our love? I still love you. Why aren't you loving me? So that, you know, when you, you listen to the soap operas and the love songs in the street, the, the, rom the romance, the best romance the street can offer you are these huge waves of love. Woo, I'm in love. Woo, I can feel it. Can you feel it? Woo, I mean, it just blows you away when you're in love. Isn't it amazing what you feel when you're in love? It's all about emotions and feelings. And then what happens? One month, three months, six months later to that wonderful emotion. Guess what? I don't feel a thing for you, but a little bit of repulsion. You know, and was it Jan? You were talking to someone at a restaurant and they said, you've been married for 49 years. And he said, I've been married too and I'm trying to find my way out. Well, you know, the, 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 tragedy, the tragedy is, of course, people are building their whole marriage on the emotion. What did Jesus say to the disciples? I have a new commandment for you. What is the new commandment? Love one another. That's a new commandment. This is how they'll know that you are my disciples, the way you cut your hair and the clothes you wear. How will they know that we are Christian? What does this word Christian mean? 
How will they know that we're Christian? We love each other. I mean, we literally love each other. Different color, different nationalities, different backgrounds, different economic status, educational levels, who cares? You know what? We love each other. Why? We have a commandment. How does God have the audacity to command me to love you? God can't command me to love you. Yes, he can. You see, it's a decision by grace, by God's love flowing into my heart, cleansing me and flowing through me to you. I make a God choice. And I'm going to love you in spite of everything you've done and said. And I am going to love you. Why? Because I love Jesus. We sing the song, Jesus loves me and I love Jesus. Guess what? I am going to demonstrate and when you go into the pastoral ministry or an associate ministry working with a pastor, you're going to be very, very, very hurt. Church board members, associate pastors you work with, your senior pastor, the superintendent, colleague pastors, you're going to be hurt. You're going to, you're going to be bleeding because you have expectations of how you should be treated and how it should go, and suddenly, shazam, you get stabbed in the back. Someone doesn't treat you the way you deserve. Someone doesn't love you. Someone doesn't support you. Someone doesn't believe in you. They pull the rug out from under you, and all those good things happen, and then you have a choice to make. And your choice is simply this. Forgive them and love them. Why? Because Jesus loves you. Forgave all your huge debt. Now you forgive and keep loving if we ever could live by the law of love that John teaches the church, we would never have to worry about complex strategies for reaching people or keeping people. People will drive 117 miles to go to a church where everybody loves each other and they're just filled with love for each other and they've learned mature communication processes, which is you don't talk behind people's backs unless you're bragging on them and you're building them up. And if you have something to say to someone, you learn to be mature enough to go talk to them. Now, I've preached a sermon how many times? Have I learned these lessons? It's so easy. People love to get me talking about other generals. Oh, they love to ask me questions. So tell me about Dr. Paul Cunningham. and Talk to me about Jim Deal. What about Jim Bond? And they love to kind of plant little, and they try to get me to say something they love every little morsel, every little tidbit of anything that's less, you know, anything that I could say that would kind of put my colleagues down. Have I ever done that? Yeah. Should I? Of course not. So I've asked them to forgive me. I go back and I try again and again because sanctification, friend, is not one Shazam moment when, boom, it's done, I'm fixed. Ha, hallelujah. Guess what? It's that initial moment of covenant at the altar where you get married. But it's a relationship that's a lifelong relationship you invest in every day you're married. You better make some good choices or this marriage is not going to be a very good marriage and it may not last very long. And sanctification, friend, is the same exact thing. I'm spirit-filled, a crisis moment, but I got married in a moment of time. That's right, but guess what? Being married in Pennsylvania in 1971 has nothing to do with being a good married husband today. And I can't go back and just say, well, I was married. I got sanctified back there. You know, I got it all fixed. Guess what? It's a continuing receiving of love, that cleansing love, that cleansing love, allowing me to go back into the school of life one more time and try to get it right this time, and try one more time to get it right this time, and keep learning until finally, by the grace of God, I mature into the Christ-likeness of truly loving you, regardless of who you are and what you do. I simply love you.
Because Jesus gave his life and sacrificed everything for me. I love God so much. I love you. Would you stand, please? Father, I thank you for every student who's investing these years in preparation. They heard the call. They've sacrificed and they've come to this school of prophets to prepare. And would you teach us while we're here in these halls, teach us to love each other. May we demonstrate how much we love you. And may we learn early lessons that will always serve us well in our pastoral assignment. We're not measuring our worth by how they treat us, what they say about us, what they think about us. That's not at all the measure of our worth. You established the measure of our worth with the incredible sacrificial love that you have demonstrated for me. And you're asking me to love those around me in the same way that you love me. In thy name we pray. Amen. God bless. Greet each other again. Tell them I love you in the love of Jesus. Even though you're hard to love, I love you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Have a good evening. <laughs>